0: In everybody, to another episode of Sad Times, where I got my baritone and bass into it there. My name is Kevin. I am your host. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, If you have not already, please tell a friend. The whole goal of Sad Times is to allow these stories to be told so that people who may be going through difficult times uh, can hear something that helps them feel a little bit less alone. So on Sad Times, we try to have people on each week that talk about difficult, traumatic events in their life. Talk about the the sad times, the difficult times. And we have these stories told because we do believe that these are universal. We all go through difficult times and yet we don't talk about them as much. So that's what Sad Times is. We do have a website. It is www.sadtimespodcast.com. If you go there, you can register to be a guest. And also you can listen to all the episodes, read the blog, do all the good stuff. So sadtimespodcast.com. And before we get going today with our special guest, we do have a a sponsor today. Today's sponsor is a little different than our usual sponsors. This one is a little more earnest, as it were. Today, Sad Times is brought to you by the Hysteria 51 podcast. Are you looking for a hilarious, irreverent take on conspiracy and the wacky? Look no further than Hysteria 51, co-created by your favorite producer and at least in my top 15 favorite producers, Bryn Hand. The show has had me on countless times and I've learned more from Brent and David and John than I can share here. Please check it out. It's hilarious and a great listen each week. You can find it at hysteria51.com or wherever podcasts magically appear on your device. It is a great show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, It's... Yay! That's the same bell that they use on Hysteria 51 that I have danced to. And insurance. And insurance. And for that bell will be ringing anytime a guest talks about medical insurance, being a piece of shit and fucking them okay that that last part sorry about the cursing mom all right so there's gonna be more uh let's get to our guest today uh very excited to have him he is a man named jason jason how's it going man good morning gents how are you we are hanging in there and yourself
1: good good man i'm good i'm good i'm feeling all right uh i'm on i'm on the right side of the ground today so there you go we just keep Keep it moving. And where where are you uh, uh,
0: recording from?
1: Currently, I am in New Jersey, uh, but I was born and raised out in California. Uh, kind of learned that uh, California is it's got its own uh, medical insurance uh, attributes. Uh, so I decided to head to the East Coast.
0: Ah, and I think we're going to get into that a little bit. <laughs> medical insurance <laughs> attributes. I like that. That's a good way to describe it. Um. So you were born in California, uh, raised there. Tell me, let's, I mean, it's kind of a a broad thing, but let's start with your childhood. Uh, Being born there, uh, what was your childhood like? Kind of what, what, uh, tell us what you remember and kind of what you struggled with as you, as you were, as you were coming up.
1: Yeah so so it, from a very young what i can remember of of my youngest childhood um i mean i was i was raised with a lot of love okay so i mean it's important to to differentiate between the reality and my perception of everything we're about to talk about mm. um but i was raised with a lot of love but i was a, i was a boy that maybe required more or different type than that of what i got and and what i mean in that you know, my mom was very young when I was born, maybe not necessarily ready for a child. She was 19, mm-hmm. you know, in the 70s. That that was that was young, you know, um, not as commonplace as we may see nowadays. Um, but I had been bounced around from mom to grandma being helped or assisted being raised by aunts and uncles and. Um, never a father father was never around and i was always that kid that in, instead of looking around at all the love i had i was noticing the love i didn't you know and i was one of them kids that you know i needed that father i i was looking for that void to be filled and i would put other people in that role You know, I would put my uncle or my grandfather or or whatever male figure I would like latch onto them, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they did the best they could. I mean, my uncle at the time, as I'm referring to him, he was 16 at the time. Like he's, he's not a father. Wow. You know, he's, you know, he's as, as child as I am, let's be honest, you know, 16 years old is, is not a solid role model. It was a fantastically fun role model, (laughs) you know, Um, but I would project my, deficiencies onto any male that inserted themselves into my life. And at a very young age, I would start adapting um, personality traits that I saw in them. Like still to this day, sometimes when I laugh, I hear my uncle laugh, you know, Uh, but, but I, I never took a moment to ever think about who I was. It was just like, who do I need to be to get, this love and attention from the people f- that I feel I'm lacking it from.
0: So, yeah, you know? it was, it was about <clears throat> performing to get the affirm. Performing might not be the right word, but doing what you felt to get the affirmation that you felt was lacking. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And yeah. it's as go ahead. Sorry.
1: Well, I was just going to say like the, the behavior of looking for external stimuli to validate myself just played out for Most of my life, to be perfectly honest, Um, there was never any internal affirmations to myself. You know, it was always hurry up and find love or find acceptance or find uh, find just friendship. You know, Um,
0: did you feel that? That those, sorry to interrupt. Did you feel that those internal affirmations, like if you were to say, give yourself some kudos or whatever, that you weren't deserving or that you felt conceited or arrogant or that it was not polite or was it just not something you even thought to do?
1: It's not something I even thought to do, even to this day. You know, I still have huge issues celebrating wins. You Mm. know, like, I mean, fast forward to my adult corporate life, you know, and becoming the director of a company, I never went out to dinner to celebrate it. It just was like, Hey, I'm ready. Let's do it. Like I, I I still, to this day, don't celebrate wins because I always feel like it's, it's imposter syndrome full time. Like I can't, Mm. I, you know, I I better hurry up and acclimate before somebody figures out I'm a phony.
0: Yeah. I know that. I, uh, I know that feeling for sure. Um, and I think another thing too is I believe that you said, uh, from third grade on every year you went to a different school every year. So every
1: year, and this is, this is really where the external affirmations came in and the external stimuli is because every year I would either go live with a different family member or we would move, you know, even with my mother, we moved a lot. And every year I was the new kid in school and you know, in some instances, it was the jump from elementary to to junior high to, to in into high school, right? But regardless, every year in elementary I was in a different school, every year in junior high I was in a different school, and so on. Um, so every year it was it was the battle to make friends. Like, oh, okay. I mean, you you don't walk in the door of the popular kid, right? Um exactly. And 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 so now you've got a Okay, am I the class clown? Is that is that what this class needs? Like, even at a very young age, I would survey the room and figure out what's needed. Right? I don't see a class clown. I'm gonna be that guy, or I don't see the kid acting out, or I don't see the even in some instances, what's great. I don't see the quiet kid. I'm gonna be the quiet kid, which really lasts long. Oh yeah, like I, it, my whole life, I have surveyed a room and figured out how to control it. And and that was like inherently inside of me of how do I fill a need here? How do I make myself valuable to the scenario by figuring out what's missing here? And I'll fill that. I'll be that. If If you'll be my friend, I'll be that for you.
0: And when you would do that, whatever you chose, class clown, quiet guy, if you weren't getting the response that you felt affirmed you, what was your what was your feeling? Was that just really defeating a, a really difficult blow? Would you change the your attempts uh, at what you were trying to be? How would you react to that?
1: Now, I, here's the thing is, is I would throw myself into it and I would I would just stick with it. And, I, you know, later on, this just led like eh, my attempts at bettering myself anywhere would be be stifled by the fear of rejection. And it all like came from that, you know, when people didn't accept me for, hey, I'm the class clown or, hey, hey, I'm the smart kid or, hey, because I I was, I was, I was a really bright kid, but I would stifle that in order to get attention from the kids that I was trying to get attention from. So, you know, if I picked a group and I'm going to go be friends with these guys and oh yeah, school's stupid. Yeah, you're right. School's stupid. And I'm now I'm this guy, you know? When the reality is, is that I'm, I, I know all the answers. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I don't, you know, uh, it was, it was an interesting um, development of a chameleon skin at a very young age. Yeah. Uh,
0: You know, were you aware of this at the time or was it more just second nature?
1: You know what? I'll be honest with you, Kevin, Like some of this I didn't even realize until I started doing my own podcast and started talking through. The things, you know, because I started my own podcast almost as a, a therapy for myself to say the things out loud that happened and, and absorb it. Because so many of these stories that live in my head of things that I live through, I've never verbalized. I've never said so. I've never processed them. You know, I mean, e- even in our, our first discussion that we ever had, I learned things about me just mm. based on what you and I spoke of.
0: Yeah, right. And tell us what is the name of your podcast? And where it's can called, people find it
1: <clears throat> yeah it's on really anywhere you you download your podcast, but it's called uh, my madness method
0: my and, madness method okay yeah buddy cool oh, yeah buddy yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, so you are moving a lot, you are looking for a parental figure um and this is all kind of going. You obviously start to get interested in girls in high school yeah. uh yeah. and Tell us about that.
1: <clears throat> well, you know, so, so in not paying attention to the people around me that loved me my mother, my grandmother, my aunts, my uncles like, I started seeking love elsewhere. Like, oh, they don't, they don't love me. They wouldn't be handing me around. These people were loving me the best way they could and doing the best they could. And I understand that now as an adult, but as a child, I never felt like anybody was wrapping their arms around me and saying, I'm going to keep you safe. And then I at a very young age, 13 uh, started having physical relationships with girls. And now all of a sudden, like, Oh, what, what is this? Oh, Mm. this is nice. This feels like comfortable and safe and exciting. And she's into me and I'm into her. And this is like a, like a thing. Like this is, this is everything now. This is what I'm going to focus my attention on because It's not filling the void, but it's filling a void Mm. and, and it, it started becoming a focus of my attention. Now, all I was seeking was physical relationships at a very young age when my mind now looking back, I knew damn well, or I know damn well now, like my mind wasn't ready for that. You know, I look at my kids now and I'm like, no way, (laughs) no way, you know, I'm like, no way. Both of my kids now are older than I was when I started. And I'm looking at mine, like, they're just babies. And here I am, like trying to make adult decisions with a physical relationship. And, you know, those in every instance, like I'd get all into these girls. And I mean, I was always that kid that got cheated on a lot. And i took that very personally it, it was it for me it was never them it was me what's wrong with me what's wrong with me what's wrong with me because that's how i've learned it's it, it can't be everybody it must be me
0: right yeah. yeah what is the what is the common factor here where all this works out right right right, right. and it's that can me. lead down a, me. a very dark way of thinking right
1: well oh yeah because then it became i'm not worthy You know, Mm -hmm. I must not be worthy of love. So stop looking for it. You know, I'm not worthy of friendship, true friendship, you know, uh, so stop looking for it. Um, you know, and then the high school years came along and, and I I did my best to apply myself, but again, in in high school years, now you're awkward and you're, you, you think you're a man and you're not, you know, you want to be an adult, but you're still a child and, and you know, I found it easier as I high school hopped um, that the easiest people to make friends with were the other people that felt the same way that I did.
0: And what was you that know? like? So you found the people who were also trying to fill a void.
1: Right. And they were feeling rejected. or I mean, come on. They're teenagers. Like everything was a problem, right? <laughs> <You> right. Know, <laughs> the, whole, the world is falling down. Um, but I wasn't a jock and I wasn't what i i no longer considered myself to be smart because i had let myself slide so that so i'm not interested in school i'm not interested in sports i'm not interested in any of the extracurricular school so what do you do you hang out with the kids at the park and you know by the age of you know honestly until i turned just before the age of 17 was the first time i saw anybody pull weed out of anywhere and i was like oh let me try this and so now we're smoking weed and now we're drinking and oh hey like I'm friends with all these people like we're cool everybody likes me like you know I'm I'm the the guy that smokes cigarettes and I'll smoke weed with you and and we'll get drunk together and we'll have a great time and you know I'm that guy that'll like say the crazy things or do the crazy things whatever it was whatever the situation needed me to be I I was and now here's this group that just accepts me. And it didn't matter what school I went to, that group always accepted me. So I stopped, I stopped canvassing the rooms and I just looked for them.
0: And then, uh, it it sounds like too, that the whole time up to this point where you find this group and you're drinking and and you're smoking some weed and and such that your brain is just kind of going like crazy, right? Is your brain just constantly going
1: it's it's well you know it, it took many years to realize that adhd was a prevalent thing for me which it, you know maybe had it been addressed when i was much younger maybe this was part of my perception issues of what was going on around me it wasn't because of that I really felt that way, it was because my ability to perceive certain things was obstructed by this ADHD, which in the seventies, early eighties is go play outside kid, which I mean, I still think, you know, exercise and activity is a great thing for ADHD, but completely dismissing it at that age. Um, yeah, my brain was always loud and, and obnoxious and self-deprecating and, it was just constant nonsense and you know, it took me moving out. I, I, I had my own apartment when I was 17. Oh, wow. um, yeah. 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 My, my buddy Bub and I got an apartment together. I was just shy of 17. um, But I had a job, I had a car. Uh, I was doing all the right things. And then uh, one of my buddies called up and was like, Hey, you guys got to come over. You got to check this out. And excuse me he uh he had crank and now crank now what is, is like, crank it's really stepped on amphetamines okay like it's just kind of like dirty it's you know it's it's like the beginner's form of methamphetamine <laughs> like it's it's you know guts cut in it to some degree it's uh mixed with you know in some instances i don't even know yeah you know, i've, I've I've heard in you know there oh some of them have uh, baby formula in it, some of them it, whatever it baby is formula. to take the amphetamine and fluff it up and have a ton of it, you know.
0: Gotcha. So um, when you first tried crank, what was that like?
1: Oh man, it was first of all, it was exhilaration, right? My heart feels great. Man, I feel strong. I I, I could take on the world and and everything's great, and everything everybody's happy and talking. But what what I found was that my brain was quiet. Mm -hmm. and i could i could focus and i didn't have any of these self-loathing thoughts and i did like everything was great i felt like me like this is how i should feel this is how i think normal people should feel you know yeah and in that i thought yo all of my buddies are having a good time all these girls are loving it now mind you i still have my situation in 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 looking for physical relationships and this type of drug makes those easy (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. um so those that was happening and my first instinct that night was hey we gotta buy a lot of this people are gonna love this it was like i just found apple or google or something you know what i mean like everybody's gotta (laughs) know about this right you know uh you know I, i i certainly wasn't discovering plymouth rock that night but i sure felt like it and um I wanted everybody to know about it and so I bought I don't know a couple ounces whatever I could afford that day and I just started handing it out like anybody You were just that, giving it away you weren't selling Oh yeah it. bro I was a terrible drug dealer Well I shouldn't <laughs> say that I ma- I made my money okay. but <laughs> in the grand scheme like I gave I made sure I made enough money that it paid for the party it paid for my rent and my bills everything else got blown away Huh. like there was no pile of money sitting anywhere everything got paid and the rest of it was to have a great time and that continued for a decade i've like i would rather oh you want to be my friend let's get high and now we're all getting high and now we're you like me and 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 i i perceived the friendships and the physical attractions and the the, the all the attention i got and everything. I saw that as people liking me when the reality is, is that they were just getting free drugs, you know?
0: So it's like the drugs in this case uh, became the, that's what you saw the room needed was the person who brought the party. And that's the role that you filled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I, if you're young and man, you're having a good time, it's, it's, it's gotta be extremely hard, very difficult to stop that. Especially if, as you said, your brain felt quiet for maybe the first time ever. You were able right. to focus. You felt normal, uh, quote unquote right. normal. Um, right. Can you can you tell us about the first time? So you were buying this stuff, and you, mm-hmm. can you tell us about the first time you got pulled over?
1: Oh man! So it took I don't know a couple of months before. Things were really doing well. Business was taking off, so to say. Um, I had purchased myself a brand new 95 Thunderbird, beautiful car. Um, and the first thing I did when I bought this car is I drove it across the street and I had it lowered and put rims on it. And then I drove oh, nice. it to a buddy's shop and I had a stereo system put in it. And then I took it to a mechanic and I had the um, the headliner uh, adjusted to where I could release it and hide things up there. And I had a false bottom put in my center console. And so anyway, several weeks go by and I'm driving, uh, in, in a part of town. That's like the back way, getting to Walmart, right? Walmart's you're usually on a main road. And then there's a neighborhood behind it. And I would cruise through there. And as I'm driving and, and I, I know that people aren't happy about what I'm doing because there were other people that were in the game so to say right and when you they say the game excited. you mean
0: selling drugs right
1: right okay right, right so they weren't super excited about that i was just i one i was making money and two i was giving it away for free to boot right so they're not fans so i was always looking over my shoulder and there was one night i was driving through this neighborhood and i see a car behind me with one headlight and i'm like oh shit
0: what was it jacob dylan <laughs> sorry what's it that? as I, I made a wallflowers joke sorry oh. brent don't shake your head at me uh, so car with one headlight. I'll shut up. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Car with one headlight. I uh, so I started speeding up a little and he sped up a little and I sped up more. And now we're doing 60 in a residential. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to hit this Walmart where there's some lights because the neighborhood's dark. It, it had to have been, I don't know, between 11 and one. If I had to guess, I don't remember the exact time, but I blow through a stop sign and son of a bitch. If this if cop lights don't light up on this, this Popeye vehicle behind me. And it's a cop, and I'm, oh. no fucking, no way. this guy's driving around and And so I pull over. and I recognize the cop, um, officer chops. I, I I talk, that's what I call him. I, I talk about him in the podcast. Mm-hmm. He was the school's resource officer. and actually, I had. Uh, there was a file put against him because he was hitting on my girlfriend while she was underage working at the school. Right. Whoa. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, huh? And he was like, well, you know, they, they pulled me out of the car. He, it's just him, you know, small town. I think he knew who I was. I, I couldn't be sure, but anyway, he puts me back by his car and I'm watching this guy go through my car and his light, you know, shining through my tent and I see him pull my ashtray up. And my ashtray pulling it out is the release to the false bottom of my center console. And I see my change fly out of the ashtray. And I was like, oh, shit. All right. So he comes walking back over. He goes, you want to tell me about anything in the car? I said, you want to tell me how you got those charges dropped from the high school from hitting on underage girls? You guys, I'm telling you right now, I don't know where that came from. I don't know why I said it. I don't I don't have an excuse for that. But he paused, and I paused, and I felt like I jumped over next to me, going, "Oh, bro, you're in trouble yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, and the, it was like silent for what felt like forever. And he uh, he goes, what do you, what are you saying? And I said, "All I'm saying is is that you've emptied my pockets, and there's a bunch of money on on your on your hood." Are you donate? Am I donating that, or or what are we doing? And he said, "Son, are you bribing an officer?" I said, "Absolutely not. Absolutely I would never." I said, "But I mean, is the policeman's ball or whatever? Is that what that's for, right?" And I was just such a smug little shit about it. And he, uh, he goes back to my car and sits there, and I'm like, oh, "I'm going to jail. I just started this. Like the party's over." And he comes back and he takes everything off of the hood, the money, the drugs that were in my, the little bit of baggies that were in my pocket, which was interesting that that didn't create an issue. He scoops it all up, gets in his car, backs up and leaves. Wow. And I sat, I sat there just silent and I was like, what, what? I was like, maybe I'm dreaming. Maybe I'm too high. Maybe that's the case. Maybe, maybe I got myself too spun out here. So you know, I I went home, back to the apartment, and I sort of started telling the team about it. You know, my buddies were there, and I was like, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to involve them with this because I don't think it makes sense. And eventually, I had to tell my roommate, Bub, about what happened, and they were like, nah, dude, you're tripping, so on and so forth, but my apartment... I could see if I went to my balcony, I could see the parking lot where the cops would leave on their shift that the, where they pulled in and out of the police department. Like I was that close to them doing all this shit. Oh, wow. And there was one night where three squad cars pulled up in the parking lot in, in, you know, in front of my apartment. And I was like, here it is. Here it goes. And I open up the door and they just walk in and, uh, it was like silent and they were like where is it and i was like where's what and the, now officer chops is the second guy in the first guy coming in is like the watchish commander guy i i remember him my my exactly who he was is a little fuzzy for me so i don't i don't really jump in on detail about him too much but the reality was is that i had a whole bunch of money in the couch and i Pulled it out and I sat it on the table and I'm like, wow, you're rolling the dice, bro. You're really tripping here. And uh, the cop reached down and he picked up the money and he took a joint out of my ashtray and they turned around and they left. Whoa. And I was like,
0: how many policemen's balls are there? Wait, don't answer that.
1: Right. Well, (laughs) the reality is, is that my friends were there. They saw it happen. Um, There's only a couple of them. Bub was there think chris was there anyway there was just a couple guys there and they all looked at me like i was insane and i was like this is what i was trying to tell you guys the other night but i didn't think you'd believe me (laughs) and so you know business started evolving and rolling and and you know now there was there was a guy that the the guy that first brought it to my buddy that the the delivery system right so uh, Bobby, this guy, Bobby brought it to my, my friend, fat kid. We call him fat kid in the, in the, in the podcast. Cause that was his nickname. So, uh, Bobby and I became friends because I was kind of the guy with all the foot in the money and the whole thing. And, and there became this, uh, this power struggle between he and I, and one night it started to inflate because there were some guys that owed us. $80, okay, 80 bucks, man. And and Bobby just wanted to beat the shit out of these guys. And so we had them bring somebody that wanted to buy some drugs from us, had them bring them to the golf course. And from the golf course, we could see the entrance and the exit. So we knew if anybody was coming. And uh the cops pulled up right in the middle of this deal now we were letting them try it and it was on a mirror and and at the time it was it was called peanut butter dope and it really only because it had the color resemblance of peanut butter
0: is this still okay? crank that we're- it's still crank okay yeah, gotcha. yeah, yeah, yeah
1: it's mm-hmm. still crank so we see the cops pulling in and we flip the the mirror over on my floorboard and i'm like why would you do that like i have light interior <laughs> like this is going to be seen and this female cop comes up and has us all back away from the cars and right as she's getting ready to go look in my car officer chops pulls up and he's like i got it i got it back and she's like what are you talking to he's like i got it and he came up and he took the towel that was over the mirror and put it on the hood of my car he took the mirror put it on the hood of the car and he was like we're clear here and he put it all back and uh the next day he showed up and i had to make another donation and
0: how often was this know, going so on
1: at, anytime we did something stupid or illegal donations had to be made
0: okay and at this point so you're you've been i believe you called it the game you've been in the game you've been dealing for a while at this point would you feel that you are into kind of the throes of addiction with the Uh, drugs you
1: know what uh you know what at this point no at this point i'm still having a good time i'm still paying my bills i'm still working i'm still it was just like a hobby that that kept bringing me new friends, you know? Yeah. Um, it wasn't even, like, here's the thing, like, the, the thing with the money and the cops was that it it was just what you're supposed to do, right? That's what the movies say.
0: That's yeah, what the pay. rap
1: music, mm-hmm. that's that's what all the rap songs say, you know what I mean? Like, t- it wasn't that I, that was who I was, it was that those are the rules. Like, that's, that's, what, that's what we're told, you know? And... I just I, I it worked, which is crazy. And, and you well, know, um,
0: well, when you say that at this point, you weren't in addiction and, and you said, well, I started a job. I still pay my bills. It, that seems to me that you're saying that at some point those things stopped as well. Is that oh, correct? Oh,
1: yeah. A hundred percent, because the power struggle between myself and Bobby created a big problem. Um, because I wasn't what it was about for me. Like I wanted to take care of all my friends and have a good time. And you want to be the man, good, be the man dude. Like, that's fine. And, and, you know, that led into a lot of stressful situations. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the abuse, the addiction, this is kind of really where it kicked off is because now the arrogance starts kicking in and, Oh, I'm making, I'm making enough money. Um, I got enough friends. I, I don't need to work anymore. I'm doing this. So now I have to stay up because I got to sell this stuff and I got to keep moving. And, you know, eventually, you know, cops get reassigned and your, your gravy train ends, you know, and you know, people start butting heads and, and your access to drugs changes and your perception starts getting skewed, you know, because yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's a bit of my own denial thinking that I wasn't in the throes of addiction while all of this was going on because who does any of this shit sober? You know what I mean? Like, right. This isn't an average person's behavior, but to me, keeping a job, paying your bills, you know, that whole thing was oh, i'm I'm normal. This is a perfectly normal, you know, this is how I make friends. Look, everybody. it's great. you know, uh. life is good. And then when you start losing jobs and you start uh, losing friends and losing cars, you know, uh, it, it just it it snowballs out of control very quick. And when it did, and when when I started finding that I was surrounded by people that, were saying they're my friends, but I was watching them do things that friends don't do. They were stealing from me or they were not paying me back or whatever the case may be. And, and I thought, I said, I took a step back and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, this is getting far away from why I started doing this. Right. right? Um, it's time to go. I, I got to get out of here. You mean and like so, leave town? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cause the, my, in my head, it was, if I can get out of this town, I can just go reset, you know, because this isn't who I am. And so the girlfriend and I, we moved to Arizona. We're living in Phoenix and and I got a job and, and uh, I wind up working at a Coca-Cola plant oh nice and I'm, load- I'm loading trucks and yeah it was hot it was terrible dude <laughs> there was there was there was one day we were working and it was 122 inside the warehouse because the doors had to be open so the trucks could pull through and get loaded you know the ones with the side roll up sure. doors yeah you know so it was 122 in there and when we were picking cases sodas were exploding in our faces so oh, we're covered Jesus. in sticky soda in 100 100- anyway it was it was awful dude it was awful and you know, there was a day where we got the opportunity, hey, who wants to go empty trucks? And really was to go out there and pull all the empty pallets out of the trucks that have returned from their routes. And I'm out there talking to a guy and he was telling me about him and and I was telling him about me. And lo and behold, uh, he's a meth dealer and I'm I'm a fan, right? I'm a fan of the drug. Can so, I ask you
0: something real fast, Jason? So yeah, like yeah. in this move, was it, was it part of the move to also stop doing crank? Was oh, it to yeah. get away from was, that? I You're trying to sober. be sober. Okay.
1: I was sober for months while I was there. Okay. And then I just, I happened to meet this guy and he tells his story and I tell mine. And guess what? Guess where we go after work. We go back mm-hmm. to his apartment and I get fired up on some good mess. Like now we're talking like, you know, crystal clean stuff. And, you know, I had, I had dabbled in it before I left, you know, part of the reason why I had left California is because it changed from crank to crystal. Um, I guess I should backtrack just a little bit because, you know, when Bobby and I had our falling apart and I separated from everyone and moved out of, out of that immediate town into Stockton, I started a job. I was sober and I wound up meeting some Filipino guys who used to come in real late and they started buying things and just leaving me dope. And I would show my buddies, like, hey man, look at this, look at this little baggie of stuff, dude. Man, and they're like, Oh no, for that amount of money, for that sixty bucks, I could get this whole big old bag of crank. And then they all tried it and they all got on board, right? Mm-hmm. So
0: So it was away from crank onto onto meth.
1: Onto crystal, right? Yeah.
0: And so, you, you had told me, too, that around this time, as you were falling into the addiction, something that you told me that really resonated with me is that the more that you struggled not to fall into a hole, the deeper you would kind of fall. It, it felt like it was your own creation. And you, you also talked about how it's almost like the addiction is in the back of your head, slowly latching onto you. Oh, can, yeah. you can you explain that specifically? Because I think we all in the world hear about, oh, addiction. And, and I don't know if a a lot of people understand it. So can you maybe give your perspective on what addiction is?
1: Well, see, here's the thing for, for me, my addiction grew because I found something that helped me feel better and helped me not have to deal with the mental trauma or or whatever traumas it was that I was trying to escape from. So, my addiction or or dependency developed because I was using this as a crutch to not deal with reality, okay? So, it wasn't so much that, you know, I... Started off with a problem. Oh, you know, you you hear instances of, oh, I tried it once and I was hooked. You know, like I had quit several times because for a moment there was clarity and I needed to make a better choice for myself. And I was able to walk away, but inevitably that devil on my shoulder would go, hey, but things are still this way. And it was my way to either cope or not cope with whatever problems it was, you know, and they just compound, right? And they just get worse. So for me, my addiction was, was twofold. One, it was the inability to recognize the love that I had. And it was this ADHD brain that wouldn't allow me to really face and deal with reality, you know, but then I started with behaviors that were even clouding that like, Oh, you know, now nobody wants to be my friend or, or, or this girl doesn't like me. She cheated on me. And it's just piling up and piling up and, and, and suppressing the real issue. And my addiction allowed me to function while the core issue was never dealt with. Like so many of us, there's, there's a ton of addicts and, and I speak only for the people I've spoken to and myself but there's so many of us that instead of dealing with the core issue we deal with addiction right and and so many people in my opinion and my experience need to deal with the core issue to deal with the addiction you know you can send somebody to rehab for 30 days and then send them off running but if you've never dealt with the reason why they ended up in rehab the core issue all you're doing is sending off a dry drunk or sending off a dry addict, mm-hmm. you know, because you've never dealt with the core issue. You're still sending them out there with their issues. They're just sober. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: So and oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry, please.
1: I was just going to say, you know, making it to Arizona and, and, and look what found me, you know,
0: Yeah.
1: the addiction found me, you know, or I found it, you know, I, I guess it's, I mean, it seemed almost like fate, like, but, but here's the thing. That was my test. I could have said no. And I didn't because there it is. There's my thing. Like, boom, I'm back in it, you know? And ultimately that the, 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 whole downfall in Arizona forced me back to California and, you know, it's, and, and it, it didn't get better. I got wrapped up in, in in even deeper. And I became part of a, 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 quote unquote family. I had a role in a family where this is my job. This is what I do. These are the, the amount of money I have to turn. This is like, I throttled down on my skills. It was like, I was running around honing my skills to be this crazy drug dealer, you know? And all I was was this kid that wanted friends. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's the the craziest. Did you,
0: did you often look around and say, "Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, how did I get here? I was just, you know, partying with my friends at eighteen, and you know, people were coming over, we were having a good time, and now, like you said, you're kind of part of a, a family or 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 what have you." Right.
1: Yeah, there was. Um, I mean, fast forward just a little bit to perfect to that example is is I ultimately wind up in Vegas. And I sat in a room and we were having a sesh, quote unquote session. It's when we all sit around and just smoke meth, right? And I looked around the room and the guy to my right was on the run for murder. He, uh, he had crushed a guy with a refrigerator uh, repeatedly. Oh. Um, and then the guy next to him was on the run from the feds for stealing a database from a DMV. And the guy next to him was a pimp. And the guy next to him was his enforcer. And then the guy next to him was the son of a prominent hotel builder in Vegas. Okay. And these were my friends. These were, but see, here's the thing. Like, I didn't look at them like you're a murderer and you're a thief and you're a pimp and you're an abuser or whatever, whatever you want to call them. Like I got to know these people and I got to understand why they were in the position they were in. Now, every one of them made horrible decisions for themselves. But this is where I started to subconsciously. It, it started realizing, like, oh, these aren't murderers and addicts, and well, they are, <laughs> you know. But each one of these persons has a story that led them there, and that's this is what we got to get to the bottom of these. These addicts are doing their best to survive. For whatever reason, whatever decision that they made, whatever trauma they experienced that led them to the place that they're at, which then led to these other horrible decisions, we, we have to start treating addicts like people that have trauma and issues and get to the core of that because otherwise we wind up with a a really good kid that just wants some friends in a room full of murderers and criminals. And not that I wasn't a criminal, let's be honest here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I certainly wasn't a murderer and I certainly, you know, wasn't robbing DMVs and you get what I'm saying? Like it's. Yeah. And these are, these are people. These are, these are people that made horrible decisions one right after another until it led here.
0: Yeah, in the same way that you know I was saying earlier, oh, we hear the word addiction a lot, and then we kind of brush it aside. Uh, right. I think it's the same way with addicts. Oh, yeah. well, that's some sort of you know. Too often, it's been seen as some sort of a moral failing or, or something right. like that, which it is not. And as you were, you know, with uh, with these people in that room, and these are the people you're kind of running with. You're 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 back in the business, right, in Vegas.
1: Oh, oh and, and well, and again, I left California uh you know i mean there's a lot of story between a and b but yeah i mean what's interesting i started my podcast to tell the story about vegas and here i am 25 episodes deep in in my madness method and i'm not even in vegas yet right but so
0: yeah I, you're getting to the good part uh in your right. podcast you'll get there
1: right so i uh i i went to vegas as you know hey why not i'm young i got nothing let's get out of here let's go start over again in vegas and it was like everything i did for the years leading up to Vegas was training for the show. You know what I mean? It was, it. everything I did was training to function in Vegas because everything I learned, everything I did and everything I was capable of was put to the test in Vegas. And, you know, the idea here was again, was to get away from this. And y- here I am. And
0: you're right, you right back know? in it.
1: And right back in it. Tenfold. And- tenfold. Now I'm, now I'm dealing with, You know, the, the Mexican mafia is involved here. The Chinese triads involved here. We got some bikers involved here. Like I'm, I've got my fingers in everything here, you know, and it happened fast. It happened. Like I hit the ground running because I'm, again, I can survey a room and I can tell what's needed, you know,
0: so you're still doing that. You're still being the class clown or whatever is needed in the room.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm, but I'm also executing. You know, I'm also getting it done and pulling it off. So, you know, and then, and then again, just to, to kind of double down on the addiction thing, like, look, Vegas ran its course. I mean, I wound up homeless. I slept under the tongues of trailers for months and like, we had to hide, like, like my girlfriend was with me through all of this. She's, she's a, she's a rider, dude. Chick's crazy. She stuck around. Um,
0: She slept under the, the the tongues of trailers as well.
1: Yeah, babe. Every now and then we would get the opportunity to go to a quote unquote friend's house and we'd shower and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, lo and behold, she wound up pregnant. And the day that she told me she was pregnant was the last day that I touched meth. And I just, yeah. Yeah. And how
0: long ago was that?
1: That was October 5th, 2005. Wow. Yeah. And, and so, I had already started walking away. Like, I I, w- I was walking away from the dope game. Like, now I, I don't have dope anymore, so I don't have friends. Now I don't have anywhere to stay. So, sobriety was in part being forced onto me because I was trying to get away, but I would still find a way to get high. But there was no way I was going to do to my child what I felt was done to me, right? There was no way. So that feeling of inadequacy and of not being wanted—I there was no way I was letting my kid feel that. And so I found a way to get us home. You know, we came home. I got to work. I, 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 this job, that job, little jobs, crawled my way, clawed my way back up. Put my put my now wife through college. Then, so your
0: girlfriend from Vegas that you were just referring to is your now wife. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. And when you Um, when you moved back to California. You're off of meth and yep. what you were talking about earlier when you're in a room with, with people who are your friends, but there, there are so many other things, but it's they're addicts because of unchecked trauma. When you stopped doing um, – when you stopped with the meth, uh, did you feel like unchecked mental health issues, that ADHD you've talked about started coming back up again and like how did you deal with it then without the drugs?
1: Well, that's interesting because I was so focused right then on doing the right thing for my now wife and child that it was just it was it was milestone after milestone it was better job better job her college my college and then I got, you know, promotion 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 and, and the one thing that translates on both sides of this pendulum is my addiction to meth was for recognition and friendship and, and development of, of, of relationships, right? And, and just being acknowledged as a human, right? I feel acknowledged and seen now. And when my professional career sort of plateaued with the company I was with, and I was no longer getting the, the raises weren't coming as fast and the promotions weren't coming as fast and frequent. And, and I stopped in my perception, getting the recognition and acknowledgement that I was still seeking. Mm. The next thing I know, I'm going on business trips, but now, now we're just drinking a lot. Right. Oh. And drinking just became my new meth because I tell you what, maybe if somebody had a bag of meth, I would have started banging that out again. You know what I mean? I would have started smoking my face away. But the reality is, is that alcohol was socially acceptable. Everybody was doing it. We were all about the same age. We were overindulging, but them, it was business. And then they go back home and they go back to business. For me, it was again making me feel better it was making me feel appreciated because I'm the guy signing all the bills at the bar. You know, I mean, there, I, yeah. there was one night where I opened up the bar. I signed a $14,000 bill, bar bill. Okay. Brent like, was there. <laughs> just kidding. Brent. He might've been, I do. I wasn't IDing anybody. Okay. I just
0: opened, I just opened up the bar. $14,000.
1: Yeah. Wow. Or actually, it was like fourteen seven something like that. You know? Yeah. And okay. That was, so that's that going to give gone. you
0: everything that you want. At least on the surface, right? Everybody's like, oh, my God, thanks for the drinks. Oh, this is great. Blah, blah, blah. And
1: then the next day, Jay, hey, you know, and now I'm everybody's friend again. And now I'm finding a way in because now other people at other facilities in the same company are reaching out. Oh, yeah, Jay's great. So on and so forth. And now we're picking up steam again. Yeah, You know, now we got people outside of just where I work talking about me. And now it's coming again. But unfortunately, now I have a drinking
0: problem. Now, because. let me ask you this, Jason, because it, it, sorry, again, to interrupt you um, yeah. as you're going down and, you know, getting yourself a drinking problem, as it were. Did you realize that you were doing that? You were on the same track that you had been with the meth or because drinking is so prevalent and socially acceptable? Were you able to deny it uh, to a point or did you kind of know I'm in trouble again?
1: Do you know, you want to know exactly when I correlated the meth use to the alcohol use is when you and I did our first conversation.
0: Whoa. What, when we had our prep call?
1: Yep. That no was the first shit. Time, that's the first, like I sat here after our call and just reflected, like it was like epiphanous that, and again, like I'm on this journey, you know, like I'm doing this podcast because I want people to hear the journey and and they I want them to experience it with me because the reality is, is that. You know, we as addicts and drunks and, and 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 drug users, and we sit in these rooms and we watch these TED talks of these people that oh, I was a millionaire and then I lost everything and now I'm a millionaire again. Like, how do I how do I relate to that? I don't. My hope here is is to tell a story that people can relate to, and part of the ability to relate to it is the fact that I'm on this journey with you. Yeah, and that was when I put it together. Is that? You and I were having the conversation and it didn't dawn on me that the chase for acceptance and status on either end of this addiction, whether it was meth or alcohol, they were connected. And until I started dealing with the core issue of the the childhood, Jason, that that it's okay, dude. Like, I, I love you still, you know, and how many people... I have a picture of my young self on my, the face of my cell phone. Cause that's who I do it for every day is little me. I need to make little me proud. Like when was the last time you told little Kev that you love him? You know what I mean? Like he's in there. Uh, he's
0: is that in a there. trick question?
1: No, no, I'm just no, kidding. Sh- no, yeah he,
0: him. <laughs> yeah, he isn't are man. You're exactly right, too. And something that I say a lot on the show and I always try to end the show is that there's always room for kindness and grace, even with yourself. Yeah. And for a long time, I thought and I still think to a, to a great degree that uh, it's not worth it or that's not what's needed or I don't deserve it. Yeah. And getting over those humps uh, is, is, is in the mental health journey is quite arduous. Yeah. And it well, – go ahead. Go ahead. No,
1: I was just going to say that, you know, uh, people have a tough time doing, you know – what what is it? Edward Smalley? What's his name? Anyway. Oh, the, Stuart self- Smalley. Stuart Smalley. Yeah. Every, yeah. Everybody has troubles giving self-affirmations to the adult you. Never mind the adult you. Because here's the here's the one thing that I've faced: I'm the same person inside my head that I was when I was 14 years old. It's just I follow a few different rules and I just have an older shell, you know. Hmm. But That's who I'm doing this for. Like, you don't have to affirm anything to the adult you, which what I think we should be doing is act like five-year-old you is standing in front of you. And how are you doing them service by what you do every day? Because that's you. Like, you have to live up to the promises to only you. You know, so who who are you more likely to live up to promises to the adult that you're staring at in the mirror that you can find flaws with or the five year old version of you that you just want to hug and hold and protect? Because that's who this is for. You know, that's who we should be doing this for.
0: I think that's really well said. And uh, um, I think that and also that makes me think when you're, when you're thinking about five year old you, right, let's go back to when you were in middle school and high school and you would go in and you would think about the room and how I can please everybody in the room and how can I control all that right now, what you're doing is you're focusing on one child yourself and that's so much easier to grasp and so much easier to achieve. Whereas when you're trying to kind of run the room or, or whatever it may be, you're trying to hold the whole room together when you're not paying any attention to yourself.
1: Right. 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 And so now it's our jobs as adults to give that child that wanted all the attention, soul attention. Like I'm, I've got you because that, that little kid is still in there. You know, you have a memory from when you were five years old or six or seven, you have a memory and that's because little you is still in there, you know? So protect it, protect that version of you. You know what, what value is tearing yourself down. At the age of forty, whatever thirty, whatever, what value are you giving to five year old you? How are you going to explain that to fourteen year old you? Hey, buddy, look at what look at where we're at because that's sad, you know. And that's what we need to help people deal with those core issues because right now they don't even that little version of themselves as they're in their addiction and in in, in the throes of despair. They don't even know that that little version of them is alive because they've got them so stifled. You know, I it, it got for me. My drinking got so bad. You know, there was two two moments. There was a moment in Vegas that I accepted that I was going to die an addict, and I told my now wife, "You have to leave me here. This is where I die." And she did not leave me. Okay. Uh-huh. And then there was a moment in my drinking, the day I got a DUI, where I blew a point three eight, and I was on my way to commit suicide because I.
0: Let me stop for a done. second. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to undercut the suicide, but you said 0.38. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Was pretty, yeah. Okay. And, and you were on your way to take your own life.
1: Yeah. I was, I had picked out a tree on a road that was desolate. So nobody would show up in case I survived the impact. I would bleed out or whatever. Like I knew the tree. I knew the speed. I knew the angle. That's where I was headed. Actually, I was headed to my uncle's house and I knew I was too drunk to get there. So I turned around and realized today's the day and I headed back and I got pulled over that day and I pulled over and, uh, and I got arrested and I don't remember any of it, but I woke up at the drunk tank and I was like, yeah, this tracks. And uh, ever since then, it's been this evolution to you and I sitting here today because I was done. There are two times in my life that I accepted death. And, uh, and by the grace of God, I had my wife and these police officers that came back the, the next day, one of them was off, but he came back to check on me. And he he told me, he was like, you're one of the nicest people I've ever arrested. And which was funny because <laughs> I, he was like, do you remember smacking my partner on the ass and telling him good game? And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> no. And they were like, yeah, they were like, I'll tell you, if we didn't smell it on you and the bottle wasn't on the passenger seat, we would have never known you were drunk.
0: Wow, yeah, uh, and I so, would, um, that's when you quit drinking.
1: I've had a few relapses mm-hmm. in there. It's it's a process. Sure. it's it's a struggle. You know it. You know I I hear people that go into rooms and and you know when does it get easy and it, it never. Yeah, it never gets easy. It's a fight. You got to fight for you. Now the fight gets a little simpler because it doesn't constantly live in the front of your brain. It sort of moves to the back and is just sitting there waiting for an excuse, just yes. waiting for it. And so in, in that aspect, it gets easier, but it, it never gets easy and you never it's never better, right? Like you've done some damage you, and if you get sober, but and God bless you. If you have, but the reality is is have you dealt with the reasons that you that you drank or got addicted have you dealt with those and and I, I believe you and i spoke in our first call about it a little bit but you know there are people that have perfect upbringings let's just say quote unquote perfect upbringings but they find themselves defined by their income or their job title or their marriage or whatever and if any one of those dissolves and they then turn to drinking you know but I had a perfect upbringing okay but the things that you've allowed yourself to be defined by have now created an issue you have to deal with those so you 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 need to figure out what your thing is what your what your core is and make sure that you address that because that is the only way in my opinion that it begins to get easier the only way to get that devil to move move from the front of your brain to the back of your brain is to start taking care of the core issue. And again, I just want to like preface that, like I speak for myself and people I've, I've spoken to, you know, I'm, I'm sure this isn't for everybody and I'm, I'm sure people will disagree with me to some degree, but, but here's the thing, man, like I'm trying to tell this story because I've learned one thing. I believe in everybody. I believe I, I I believe there's enough love in my heart for everybody. And if I could save every addict out there, I would do it. I know that's not a realistic thing, but if I can save one, if I can help save one, if I could connect to just one person and let them know it's okay to not be okay, you know, but let's, let's deal with it. Let's take it head on. You know, it, it's, you got to start somewhere and I'm, I'm going to bear my soul in my podcast. You know, I hold nothing back. You're hearing it all. like. Yeah. The, but you're going to get something to connect to. I promise because I've been through it and I don't want to be some guy doing a Ted talk telling you how my life was great. And then it wasn't for a minute. And now my life's back to great again, because how do you relate to that? Like, no, it started off misinterpreted and then it got bad and then it got worse. And then now it's okay. And that's okay. You know?
0: Yeah. Oh. It, 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 I, it, again, uh very, very well said. And and it th- uh it made me think of um we had a guest on here uh across three episodes. Her name was Katie, wonderful woman, extremely cool, talented, went through some very difficult times in her life. And we have a guest blog series on the sad times website. I'm going to send it to you after we're done where she talks about her thoughts on addiction and recovery. And I think that you will find uh, that you guys have a lot of, of beliefs in common because you're really speaking the same way that she was. So I will definitely be sending that to you. Um, oh, yeah, that's cool. At, before and before we wrap up, Oh, go ahead. I was Please. just
1: going to add one more thing Please. That, that what I, I really hope to get out of this is, is there, I want to, there's this stigma, like, oh, addicts, like, yo, you went to rehab, shh, be quiet, don't tell people, or, oh, you go to AA meetings, or, oh, you know, like, I I want, I'm going to recover out loud for the people that feel like they can't. And, and I really want to align myself with people that are the same, because if we make enough noise, we can take the stigma away, and we can really get to the core of this. And that's, that's really my hope here.
0: Man. And that's awesome. And that's brave and it's generous. And I, I kudos to you, sir. I mean, I think that's amazing. Um, and uh, again, we, as you said, there's so much in between of what we talked about today. So tell us again, one more time, the name of your podcast uh, so that people can go start to listen to the story from the beginning.
1: It's called my madness method. And it is just that All right, it's <laughs> the ex- explanation of uh, how I survived.
0: Jason, I really appreciate your time today. I appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate your honesty, and I appreciate the work that you are trying to do to help others. Uh, it is not easy, as you said. It's hard every single day, and to put the extra effort in to to help other people who are not seen to let them know that it's okay to not be okay is extremely admirable, and I thank you for that.
1: Thanks, Kev. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and um, thank you, Jason. And and for everybody else who is listening Uh, I will end, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, with a reminder that there is always room for kindness and grace, even with ourselves. There is always room for kindness and grace, and we will see you next time on Sad Times.